welcome to the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. I am your host, Elizabeth Heinemann, and I'm here with a co-host, a very special co-host. Elizabeth Woodson. And this month on Marked, we are doing a fun new mini-series all about Lifeway Women Academy. Each episode of this series, we'll talk to a Lifeway Women Academy teacher about her journey into theological education and how studying theology has marked her in her walk with Christ. And if you're interested in joining Lifeway Women Academy, if you're interested in learning how to study the Bible and teach the Bible in a flexible, affordable format, you can go to lifeway.com academy and enter the promo code MARKED for $10 off the registration of your first Lifeway Women Academy. Academy course. Now, Lifeway Women Academy courses are online courses for women by women. So when you sign up for a course, you'll gain immediate and indefinite access to teaching sessions from some of today's top theologians with deep dives into topics such as how to study the Bible for yourself, what we believe, and more. Plus, you can take these courses at your own pace and revisit the content whenever you'd like. You can learn more and discover current course offerings today at lifeway.com backslash academy. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Heinemann, and I'm here with my co-host, Elizabeth Woodson. Hey, y'all. Hello. And we are joined by Christy Thornton this week. We're so excited. (laughs) Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Christy, tell us about yourself and your ministry and what you do. So I am Christy Thornton. (laughs) I work at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, I teach in the college here and then I oversee a couple of different uh, degree programs. So I do academic administration in addition to teaching and writing. Um, Vocationally, I do kind of the theology thing. So I write books on theology. I have a PhD in theology. I think and help the church um, think more critically about the world and to grow in clarity of the gospel is kind of what I aspire to do. Love it. And what a little fun behind the scenes thing that a lot of people may or may not know about Lifeway Women Bible studies is sometimes, often, (laughs) always perhaps, we send them, we send our Bible studies off to a theological reader um, just to make sure that we're not hurt you know, accidentally publishing heresy, um, because sometimes that can be just a misplaced comma or something. So we send some of our Bible studies to Christy to read and make sure that we are thinking well and growing in clarity of the gospel um, through the Lifeway Women Bible Studies. I do. That's one of my favorite things to live kind of in the background of Lifeway Women Bible Studies. Not the upfront kind of face usually, but I'm happy to be in the background making them strong and helpful for the church. It's yeah. really fun. As someone who has had a theological reader for her study, I greatly appreciate your ministry. Yes. Had a little bit of calm. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm right. not giving heresy to the people, which is always, always great. It helps to have as many people look at it yeah. as possible. Yes. That's what we're always like. We have so many people read this. <laughs> so, yes, it's always helpful for mm-hmm. editors, for writers yeah. to have just another set of eyes on it, mm-hmm. and especially a set of eyes that lives and works in yes. this space and and is very knowledgeable in those areas so and we kind of have several of you that read stuff some people have like specialties in certain things and so we'll send mm-hmm. them um those bible studies that cover those topics but that's just like a little fun behind the scenes yeah. freebie i love that i love <laughs> that Christy. 
Uh, Christy, you yeah. do some really fun work in theology, but I know it's been a journey for you to get there. And so can you tell us a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> about your journey of theological education and really what made you start pursuing theological education in the first place? Yeah. I mean, it was like the last thing I wanted to do. In fact, I thought it was like the most ridiculous thing ever when people first started talking to me about it, Uh, which is really funny because people don't assume me to be that now. Like when people meet me, they're like, you were probably like 12 years old and you're like, I'm going to be a theologian when I grow up. (laughs) Like, no, not at all. Um, But no, so I grew up in a family that was critical thinking. So thinking and clarity of thought was kind of a part of our family culture. So there's some things, and we're just like booky, booky people, right? So we like read books a lot. Um, so that was like kind of always in the background. But my aspiration kind of from my late teen years forward was to be able to serve internationally on the mission field. So when I first went to college, I, you know, the degree I have in my undergrad is a, a degree in English education with the aspiration that I would work in closed countries and teach English and preach the gospel and And I did that. So after I graduated from college, I moved to North Africa where I taught English and I studied Arabic. And I thought that's what I was going to do forever. So when I first came to seminary was after I had lived overseas. In order to go back, the sending agency I was looking to work with requires seminary credit. So, man, I came here intending to be here for 18 months to get 20 hours. Uh, And in like a few weeks, it will have been 11 years. Wow. So that plan plan didn't quite work out the way I had intended. Uh, But yeah, no, I actually went back and spent another six months overseas after having lived overseas and applied to go. And the Lord just kind of sovereignly closed the door for me to be able to serve on the mission field. Like church was on board, sending agencies was on board, but the spirit was just like, no. And I was like, excuse me, sir, could you say that again? (laughs) Um, And eventually he was like, no, I meant it. I meant no. And I was really frustrated because at that point I had for like a decade of my life made just about every decision so that I would be prepared to be able to serve internationally. Uh, And I said to the Lord, look, I love you too much to disobey, but I'm kind of mad about it. Uh, And so I spun in circles for a little bit and didn't really know what to do. And at that point, went to a Bible study that talked about calling and the warm-up activity for the Bible studies. The warm-up was life-changing <laughs> for me. The warm-up activity for the Bible study was named three things that you're good at. And I said that I was good at teaching and I was good at learning and I was good at making friends. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that Bible study, I was like, look, if I'm good at teaching and good at learning, man, I got to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time in my life, I think, that I realized that I have a gift to be smart. And that that wasn't like, I was always good at school, but I just never thought about it as something that was special. But it is special, not because I'm special, because the Lord has given me something to steward for the good of others. And this is what he gave me to grow and develop to serve his church. And so I went back into my graduate degree, and then as I was working through my graduate degree, had some faculty members at Southeastern who pulled me aside and were like, hey, Christy, have you thought about a PhD? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, but they were gracious when I was not. Mm-hmm. And eventually kind of realized that this is a good way to steward an academic gift, and it's a good way to do that in a way that serves the church. 
And so did a PhD in theology. And then the Lord's been so gracious to open all sorts of doors for me to be able to use the gifts that he's given me to be able to serve his church. So now I teach and think for a living, which is great. I love hearing that, like, one question helped change your life as someone who edits Bible studies. <laughs> and sometimes yes. it's like the question, like, I have also been doing a Bible study before and had just a question just, like, break me <laughs> yeah. in ways that were eventually yeah. formative. But, like, for a little while I was like, we're going to need to put that Bible study <laughs> away and not not return. It was like an Advent yeah. study. I was like, Maybe next Christmas <laughs> we'll finish that one out. I think it was like day two of the Advent study. I was like, nope. <laughs> um, and yeah. it was just like a question that obviously God was using because it's just a question on a page that wasn't probably a big deal. It may have even been thrown in at the last minute. And yours is like an icebreaker question that, like, legit. yeah, it's, it's totally cool to see how God works even in those little icebreaker questions to kind of confirm something in your life that he's already trying to tell you um no doubt and yeah. i'm still i'm still telling the story like as a teacher i'm like oh yeah we need my the students need to be engaged we need to get them thinking some way let's ask a question to get some thinking the lord's like but what if we change their lives <laughs> okay <laughs> that's great too that and i i think even in that icebreaker that what you said is i'm really good at learning and teaching and being smart and so God can use that uh, for his mm -hmm. kingdom in a different way than you have been doing before. And I just think that's like, I just think that's just really cool. Mm -hmm. I just needed to affirm that. Thank you, Christy. Yeah. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. it's a, I, tell, I tell students all the time, and particularly women, I think, need people to say it directly. Hey, Luke, you can be really smart yeah. and have that be for the good of the church. Like, yep. it's okay to be really, really smart and to lean into that mm -hmm. and let that be a gift to, mm -hmm. to the church. And I think... Um, so we recorded these out of order. So this is like a little bit of a spoiler alert for next week's episode yeah. for people. But Dee Dee also talked about people calling out her giftings in like teaching. Yep. And I think that's something that I was like convicted of while she was mm -hmm. talking is I need to do that more for people. Because I've had people in my life be like, hey, you're really good at this yeah. thing. And sometimes it's like kind of a weird thing. And then sometimes it's like teaching or whatever. And I'm like, I need to think about who I see that is doing mm -hmm. something, whether that is like uh, working the welcome desk at church or yeah. something and being like, hey, you should know that you're really good at this. And this is not a thing that everyone is really good at. Yep. So mm -hmm. keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, the welcome desk is top of mind because I did. I was a substitute <laughs> welcome desk person <laughs> this week at church. And I am not gifted in that area, but my friend that I was substituting for is very gifted in that area. So I need to be sure to be like, hey, you're really good at this. I am not. Yes. Keep doing it. <laughs> Please do not ask me to substitute again. <laughs> um, okay, so in your lectures that you did for the Lifeway Women Academy, the theology course, um, you tackled two topics that we often feel are very difficult to tackle. You talked about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. So why do you think we're hesitant to talk about the Trinity especially? Yeah, I mean, what a great question, because we are. Yes. Like the, we're a little afraid a, a of it. <laughs> yeah, there's a presupposition behind that question. It's that we're afraid of the Trinity because, like, we are. And the I think the reasons are somewhat multifaceted. On the one hand... There's a fear because we know it's really important. Mm -hmm. And we know that, like, if we get it wrong, then that's, that is, like, heresy proper. Right. You're not actually a heretic. I, I think I say this in the lectures. You're not <laughs> actually a heretic. 
just because you thought something that was wrong one time about the Trinity, like you become a heretic when you're like a church leader who refuses to change your mind. So, so y'all aren't that. So, but we feel like we are. Yes. We're like, man, if we say this wrong thing, the mobs are going to match me with a pitchfork and they're going to burn me at the stake. Like we're not going to burn you in the stake. So, <laughs> I think that's one of the one of the pieces is that there's this fear because we believe that it's important. And then the other is is and oddly the opposite is the another reason that we don't actually think it's important. Uh, in that sometimes the training gets treated as, oh, y'all blinked for a second, sorry. Um, sometimes the Trinity gets treated as like speculative, as if it's like, this is just what those like ivory tower theologians do. And so they sit up there and they daydream about the Trinity and they're completely disconnected from real Christian life, from ministry, from mission. And Trinity has nothing to do with those things. Uh, and and I think both of those errors kind of lead us to the hesitance. And then at the core of them, uh, both of them, and probably others, is the fact that we've severed Trinity from gospel or Christian faith. Mm-hmm. So we think of Trinity as something that is unrelated to our gospel proclamation or something that like kind of comes later. Like if you're lucky and you become a like team A uh, Christian, then you'll learn about the Trinity. <laughs> But, like, that's not true. Like, there, there is no Christian faith and there is no gospel if we do not have a triune God. No trinity, no gospel. And so one of my goals then is to bring those together. You are a Christian. I swear you believe in a triune God and I swear that it matters. Well, now let me prove to you that that's true from the Bible that you believe and have been confessing all along. Uh, which is fun because that kind of turns Trinitarian theology both into a safe place because we began with what you already believe. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to get you to believe something. We've begun with what you already believe, just in your basic Christian confession that Jesus is Lord, and then everything else we can kind of build off that. So we breathe deep because we're already Christians. <laughs> we don't become a Christian because we said the right things about the Trinity. And then theology becomes... Um, like an experience of wonder. Mm-hmm. There's an adventure involved in discovering the beauties of the text and the beauties of God through the text of the scripture that we might behold him as he is, and he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I've loved the... Here's another peek behind the curtain and it's possible spoiler alert. So this is the last one of the of the Life of Women Academy series that we're recording um, even though this, I think, is going to be the second one that is airing. So, um, but I love that so many of our teachers have pointed to the beauty of who God is and the beauty of the gospel and how it's so um, beautiful. It's so like just wonderful and the wonder of it and the just how that is what propels us to study theology. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we think of not just the Trinity, but also just theology as a whole as this like, thing for other people, like the, you know, they got elbow patches, they're in tweed jackets, they're, you know, out there somewhere studying, and they're the scholars. But it's, it's for all of us who want to behold God and, and learn who he is and what, and that the result is often, or always, perhaps worship in Uh some way, shape or form. And so I think that's, that's encouraging probably for women to hear, like, it's not this far off thing for people who are like extreme nerds. It's definitely something that we all get to be a part of as believers, um, is beholding and worshiping and learning more and more about who God is. Yeah. 
it's going to add to your life. Yes. Um, and so even though it does take work, it's, it you, does take a dedication and commitment that you will be better. Um, and it just, yeah, I, I can't think of another word because I've said that on, I think, multiple <laughs> recordings. It's just this beauty and awe. And there's something mm-hmm. about us and our humanity where I think we're designed for that. And so there's a piece of us, I think, that comes alive when we see the beauty of God in the text and come to understand how it has relevance, not just for, um, has relevance in every aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, like, it, it is work and it is fruitful work. Yes. Because yes. I think sometimes it feels like, man, if I do this type of work with my mind or with thinking or whatever, that somehow that's like diametrically opposed mm-hmm. to my work in ministry. Like mm-hmm. I should go feed the poor and preach the gospel yes. and there's no value. But like, like what's the gospel that you're preaching if you hadn't <laughs> thought about it? Right. Like, and, and so these things go together and like, yeah, this, uh, so I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. So this is kind of my current thoughts, but a part of what's happening as we're doing that fruitful work is we create this ability to communicate the gospel in lots of different sorts of ways Mm -hmm. that are more contextually appropriate. So I no longer have to have the one silver bullet of this method, but I really understand the fully orbed view of what this gospel is that we preach. And so I have the ability then to speak it more easily and fluidly across my context. Because for me, theology is always about communication. It's not about you thinking on your own. It's about your ability to communicate both in inside and outside the church. Yes. Yeah. yes. You um, obviously do this in an academic environment. Um, and so I like how you talked about the need to be able to communicate the gospel in a way that's contextualized. Um, and so that's one really beautiful example um, of how it's not, theology isn't just for the folks in the tweed and the <laughs> elbow patches. You know, it's for everybody. But sometimes people look at academics and say, well, I'm not that. I'm a stay-at-home mom, or I work in corporate America, I don't see the same relevance. And so, Christy, what is maybe another way in which theology is irrelevant for the everyday moments of life, regardless of your situatedness? So, like, if you're a Christian, you are already doing theology, or you're not growing as a Christian. And I, 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 like, I really mean that. If, if you're not doing something essentially theological, you are not growing. We make, we call it something different, though. So, like, when I teach my classes and I introduce what theology is, and by the time we get through and we talk about how, how it works and the method that I'm using, we get done and they're like, Christy, this sounds a lot like, that's a Dr. Thornton. Christy would be inappropriate. <laughs> Dr. Thornton. That, uh, that sounds a lot like discipleship. <laughs> like, yes! Glad, glad you've made it. Uh, because discipleship is essentially theological. Um, so that the activities that we're doing as a Christian, reading the scripture, praying the scripture, when you read the scripture, we don't intake it like a Muslim, for example. So like in Islam, they memorize the Quran. There's not a question about meaning. You get credit for having done it, for memorizing it and reciting it, mm-hmm. not for understanding the text. We're not Muslims. You should memorize the Bible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't memorize the Bible. But what I'm saying is we don't just memorize it for a rote task of having to be able to say the Bible says this, but we memorize it that we might hide it in our hearts and that it might be a guide for us. And that guide occurs in our understanding of the text. 
And that act of understanding the text, what it is, who the God is who's written it, and what he has done in Christ, is the theological task. Not, it's not something else. This is what we're doing. So the question isn't, are you doing theology? The question is, are you doing it intentionally, and are you doing it well? Um, now, there are others who really are gifted academically. So there's a place for everyone to do this, where they read the Bible, they ask about who Jesus is, ask about what, the, what God is. Uh, and understand the text well. But there are other people who really are gifted who need to understand why we think the way we think. So what has the church said about this across time? What are the trends in thought that have led to our 21st century context? And why why are we influenced to think the way we do? Because Christians haven't always thought the same way about all these things. Some of these thoughts actually originated outside Christian communities in the text, and they've been engrafted into Christian communities as if they're if they originated here. We need people who can do that as well. But that's not for everybody. Not everybody needs to know that. But everybody needs to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Where, because this distinction kind of, of theology is not for me. Um, we hear it a lot, but you've just said that doesn't make any sense if you're a Christian. And so, Christy, where do you think it has seeped in um, where we kind of have this misunderstanding of what theology is and the fact that we're already doing what we don't think we need to be doing? <laughs> yeah, so what you another way to say that is to play off the words I just said. It's like, but like, why do we think the way that we think? So, like, why why did we come to think that theology is this and where did that come from? And like every answer to that question, there's always historic moorings. Like, there are historic trends that we can locate for why we think the way we think. And I think in this case, there are a few, a few different ones, especially in a low church evangelical context. So if you're not, low church doesn't mean it's not bad. It just means it doesn't have like a super formal liturgy experience, but like the informal experience of evangelicalism. Sometimes that has engrafted into its culture an anti-intellectualism as well. So that the enemy is education. And there are reasons for that that usually begin in the late 19th, or early 20th century. So there, there's a little bit of anti-intellectualism that's kind of peppered through our thoughts, depending on which tradition within evangelicalism you come from. So I think that's one part. The other is, look, in the late 20th century, what people said theology was and what it would do didn't always come from the Bible and came from some external locations. For example, like the most, oh, I don't, should I do this? <laughs> How far do you want me to go here? <laughs> what I was about to say, I should probably pump the brakes on a little bit. Uh, but it, we'll, we'll do this way. So what theology was in the late 20th century, uh, theology became about combat and guarding fences. It wasn't about beholding and becoming, and it wasn't about growth in Christian discipleship. It was about I'm in and you're out. So that theology became really combative and particularly women, I mean, men, men are this way too, but particularly women have no desire for combat. And so the ones who aren't ready to pick the fight, that there's no desire to do theology because all you do is you fight about who's right and what's wrong. Well, you did theology wrong if all you were doing was fighting because it's not what theology should be. So that's one. And then the other is theology became the idea that If we think these thoughts, then eventually we'll be good Christians. 
So I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to ask it a question and I'm going to say all the right things. And if I say all the right things, then I'm going to be a really good Christian. That aspiration is good. It's just not real. It's just not real. I know all sorts of people who say all the right things and live heinous lives. I know people who can say all the right things about what it means to be a Christian who aren't actually Christians and don't even claim to be. And so there's got to be something more real about theology that it's not just the words that we say. And in the late 20th century, it was focused on just the words that we say. But the And now there are more moves that are happening in my academic world to think about theology slightly differently so that the words that we say are important and we need to say things that are true, but are essentially and truthfully engrafted into who we are and the lives that we live as Christians. Uh, I don't know. I could go on for days about this. But no, thank you. I, I, I think it's question. important to understand. We don't live in a vacuum. Mm. And so the way no. we think about our faith comes from those who have come before. And so sometimes I think it's um, worthwhile to learn some things that might not be, we might not be privy to because we're just not um, in those books or in that history, but it's actually really important for us to understand, oh, this is why I feel the way I do about this. And this is what can help me walk in a different direction. Right. Okay, switching gears slightly. (laughs) How can women specifically use their theological educations, whether that is through seminary, through Lifeway Women Academy, through studying on their own. How can women specifically use their theological educations in their everyday lives as disciples and disciple makers? Yeah, so, you know, I've already said that theology and discipleship are kind of besties. Right. And theology at its best looks a lot like discipleship. Um and so there's something that they automatically share in common. But at, at the end of the day, so let, let's take what Elizabeth just said. So what she just said was, we've received from the people who came before us a way of thinking. And some of that's good, some of that's bad. So the point that I was highlighting were maybe we've received some things that we should crit- think critically about. But part of what we're doing in discipleship in particular is handing on the faith. So we're not just teaching morality. It's not just teaching an ethic of you should act this way, but we are handing on the faith and the faith shapes the people to act in a particular way. The more clear and full and robust and beautiful your understanding of that faith is, the better equipped you are to hand that faith on to someone else, and we call that handing of the faith discipleship. Or the church uses the word tradition for this. It's where you hand the deposit, you tradition it down to the next generation and give it to them. And they're going to take it and they'll do to you what you what we just did to someone else. We've received it and we ask, is this the faith in its pure form? Oh, I see some cultural trappings. Let me pull this out and pull that out. And they're going to tradition it to the next generation, and they'll do the same thing. Um, But in order for you to do that handing on of the faith, you got to know the faith. You got to know the Bible. You have to know the God of this faith. Like, there has to be some aspect of that. And 
you're doing it in your church already. You're doing it when you receive the word on Sunday mornings. And then theological education becomes the ability for you to dig deeper in that. And for those of us who are gifted academically, to be able to be the ones who understand why we think the way we think. To be the ones to understand some of the bigger pictures, which also allows us to sound the alarm at points. Hey, I know you said that, but I swear you don't mean it. They're like, no, I mean it, but like, you don't mean it. Uh, and we need people who can do that in a way that edifies the body, not tears yeah. it down. It's not about gatekeeping. It's about building up mm. a structure that's sound and full and can and can stand. I like that. And I, I would love to know, um, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. <laughs> Uh, so how can women do that? How can we uh, use our theology that we know or the theology that we're learning, our theological educations? <laughs> um, how can we use that to edify rather than tear down? Because I know there's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's when we get into these theological topics that sometimes we can, um, sometimes we we very much are like, well, this is wrong and this is right. And we don't, we, there's not a generosity there yeah. and a humility. Very so what so. are some ways that we can use what we're learning through the word in and through discipleship to build one another up? Yeah. So I think I'd reorient the starting place. Mm-hmm. Not that you start here, but sometimes we get to the wrong end because we started in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we think of theology, the end, telos, the intended purpose (laughs) of the act, to be um, saying true things. Mm -hmm. So if all we aspire to do in theology is to say true things, and we start there, we end at, you're right and I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Because all all I was trying to do is say true things. But if we, if we begin at the place of, man, the goal of theology is for us to behold Christ and be like him, man, that reorients the whole enterprise. It's no longer about me saying true things for the sake of saying true things, though you should say true things. That's important, <laughs> right? But I'm not saying it to say true things for the sake of it. I'm saying it so that we might behold Christ and be like him. So my disposition in the discipline is towards edification from the beginning. And then every time I'm doing a doctrine, I'm asking, man, how do I understand the gospel in ga- engaging this question? How, do, how does the gospel speak to these cultural questions? How does it speak to these doctrinal questions? And then it becomes, how does it speak to you? So if this is the God of the gospel, what does that mean for the life that I live in light of this God? Right? If this is the story of the gospel, what does it mean for the life that I live in light of this? So I would, if we start in the right place, we're more likely to end at the right place. And we don't just want to say true things. We want to behold Christ and be like him. Yeah, because it's, I think in those conversations, there are things that we can easily let go of uh, for the sake of saying true things. But when the um, goal is beholding and becoming like Christ, it's harder to let go of, oh, to become like Christ, I need to care for those made in his image. And so even in this disagreement, I can't let that go. And I have to learn how to honor my friend or honor this person while discussing with them um, a difference of interpretation. Yeah, and I think when we do that, it allows us to be able to better consider what disagreements are significant and what disagreements are less significant. 
Because there are some disagreements that are huge yeah. right. because they hit at the core of the gospel. Like, they're huge because you have a different Christ. Right. Like, you can't do that. And so the urgency of that conversation, the sincerity of that conversation is different as opposed to, you know, the gospel doesn't hinge on this claim. Mm -hmm. There are later things that can occur, but when we begin with the disposition of beholding becoming like Christ, understanding the gospel, growing in clarity of it, it just helps us clarify what's really important and what's not as important, which changes the the feel of the dialogue Mm -hmm. depending on the discussion. Because the truth is, like if I'm dealing with someone who really is espousing, and I, and, I, and I have done this, like, who's really espousing something that I would say is properly heretical. They're not a heretic member because they're not, like, a church leader who's, like, refusing instruction or like, whatever. But they, like, are really beginning to believe yeah. Unitarianism, for example. The Trinity is not true. The intentionality that I will have in that conversation mm-hmm. is much higher than the intentionality that I'll have with someone who disagrees on some other doctrine like what happens at the end of the world? Like when does Jesus come back? Like whatever. Like I have convictions on that, but I ain't gonna pick a fight about it. But like <laughs> if you have the wrong gospel, and it's not I want to pick a fight with you. It's I want you to know the Jesus who's real. Yes. Right. You don't have the right Jesus, and so I will have a fervor in that conversation because it matters, mm-hmm. as opposed to the others that like aren't unimportant, but like we can be a little chill about. Like we, well, I don't have to get in your face about that. Yeah, and that gives people a good measure because I know sometimes people can wonder, okay, what's essential? What's a distinctive? What does a gospel hinge upon? And that is the measure that we can use. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point there's like black and sorry, I'm talking a lot, but at that point there's like black and white categories. So there's, there's gospel and then everything else. Now in the everything else category, depending on your church tradition, you will order things differently. So there are things that I, as a Baptist, will hold as more significant than my brethren, my brothers and sisters who are Presbyterians or Anglicans or whatever. Like our ordering of the things outside of gospel are actually different. And like, that's okay because our traditions taught us to think a particular way. Um, But there is a category of gospel that we all kind of have to agree on. And the church has been doing this for a long time. The early church is so helpfully instructive for us because that's what they're having to identify because they have actual heretics that they're dealing with. And so they're saying, this is what makes you a heretic because you've proclaimed a Christ that isn't true and a gospel that's not real. And then all of us, we actually have a a ridiculous amount of diversity enough that would make evangelicals incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, But they're really good at that black and white, Christian or not Christian, there is a line. Yeah, I love that. I also think uh, we should start referring to tertiary issues as um, the things that we can be chill about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Okay, so Christy, this is the Marked Podcast, so we always ask something to do with what has marked you in your walk with Christ, but we wanted to make this one, since it's a special episode, um, how has studying theology marked you in your walk with Christ? Yeah, so when I, I'll tell a story and then get to get to the answer. So at the end of a PhD, like you write a, a book, it's called a dissertation, and then you have to defend it, which is like so threatening and unpleasant because like I didn't come here to pick a fight, but you have to defend your dissertation. All right. So at my dissertation defense, one of the like warm up questions, because then everybody's nervous. So you got these like little warm up questions before they like try to slit your throat. So they, the, one of my warm up questions was like, how has your process in the PhD program shaped you as a Christian 
And my answer was, I love Jesus more than I did before, not less. And which is really interesting because sometimes, because I worked in mission circles before, right? Missionaries sometimes carry that anti-intellectual thing. And so the idea that I would move out of mission work into theological education for many of my mission friends, uh, mission friends, like old school, (laughs) my missionary friends, (laughs) I was a mission friend too, way back in the day. Uh, My missionary friends, they feel like I've like forsaken the faith. Like, are you still a Christian? Because you don't want to be a missionary anymore. Um, that's like sort of a joke, but sort of not. And so, but for, but the thing is, it didn't pull me away from it. It pushed me more deeper into it. And the nature of my research, uh, through my PhD and even the work that I do now is really centered on a fancy word is the hypostatic union, but centered around the fact that the, the son of God became a human and the significance that when we have seen Jesus, we see God. He really is God. And that has revolutionized, man, how I see everything. And then understanding that the gospel is about his death on our behalf, but not only about his death on our behalf, it's also about our invitation to participate in the love of God that the love with which the Father has loved the Son eternally because he became human, because he died and he rose, that eternal love is on us. Like, I love Jesus so much more for understanding the significance of who he is as both God and human and what it means that I now participate in the triune life, that the love of the Father has for the Son, he has for me. Uh, and, and now I get to go further up and further in, right? So now we just keep going. Right, it gets more beautiful day by day, not less. It doesn't become dry. It only becomes dry if you're trying to just say true things for fun. You want to pick fights. Yeah, that'll become dry. But if you want to behold Christ, he never dries up because he's living water. Come on. I know. I'm like, amen. Amen. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the Marked Podcast. Um, Listeners, if you would like to hear more from Christy, and I'm sure you would after hearing just that little (laughs) bit, um, she teaches in our how, or sorry, she teaches in our What We Believe Theology 101 course. Elizabeth, you taught in that course as well. I did. What did you teach in the theology course? I taught on um, the doctrine of humanity and sin, and I talked about the church. Yes. And Christy, Mm -hmm. you talked about the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and... End times. End times. Last things, yes. And so, and Jen Wilkin and um, Mary Wiley were both also teachers in that course. And so you can find that at lifeway.com slash academy. And we would love to have you join us. So thank you, Christy. Thank you, Elizabeth, for sitting in with us today. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Jazzy Liz and at ED Hyman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com slash podcast. And you can learn more about Lifeway Women Academy at lifeway.com slash academy. If you love the show, leave us an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to connect with us. See you next time.